are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. A good Thursday show for you today. We're going to talk a little bit more about superstars in our sports. What exactly do we want from them? Once again, fans are out of control online. There's a viral clip that went around about a week ago, and the reaction to it has gotten completely out of control. College football news, the SEC releases their 2024 schedule with who is playing who in conference, and holy crap, I cannot wait for 2024. Also, there's a new show coming out on Netflix we're going to talk about, and it looks like the Oakland A's are that much closer to moving to Vegas. We had an advancement yesterday in the story, and we'll talk about that momentarily. All right, let's start out with this, talking about a little bit of NBA basketball. Nikola Jokic obviously getting a lot of attention. Have you seen his interviews since they won the title on Monday night, whether it was on the court after the game with Malika Andrews for an exclusive ESPN interview, in the press conference afterwards, basically like, wait, when's the when's the parade? Thursday? I Man, I got to get home. He says to Malika Andrews in his post and his uh, post-game one-on-one interview that, hey, basketball isn't my whole life. It's just something I'm very good at. And it's this weird, it's this weird balance between what do we want out of our superstars? Do we want a guy that talks about himself? Do we want a guy that's, you know, because Jokic is certainly – Team, team, team. I don't care about individual statistics. But he also seems a guy that doesn't want to... I don't want to say he's not going to promote the sport. But if the Denver Nuggets become dominant over the next three, four, five, six years, and they win two or three titles in the next six years or whatever, all I'm saying is that as great as Jokic is as a player, and he's the best player in the NBA right now, he's on top of the world... He's not really a spokesman for the league because this league is turning into – I'll give you a little story. My nephew, 16 years old, he – and when every time I hang out with him, he's always asking me about basketball. Who do you think the Mavericks are going to get? You think they're going to get Luka? He knows in the upcoming draft. He knows Victor Wembanyama's name. He knows Scoot Henderson's name. He knows the Thompson Twins' names. And he's reeling and he's off to me. And he's, and I can tell you honestly, I know for a fact, even though I don't live with him, I know for a fact, outside of the time I've taken my nephew to Mavericks games, he's never watched an NBA game from beginning to end. Which is really weird, but that's the way kids consume sports nowadays. He gets all of his information and everything he knows about the upcoming draft and who's trading who and Kevin Durant, he knows all the good players in the NBA, he knows what teams they're on, but he doesn't watch games. He watches highlights. His whole world, and, and he's not the only one, kids get their whole world from clips, highlights, which is basically straight from TikTok and Instagram, but mostly TikTok. And someone like Nikola Jokic, while my nephew certainly knows who he is, my nephew is never going to be drawn to a player like Nikola Jokic because Nikola Jokic is a throwback. 
he's a guy that could easily have dominated in the 80s because he plays a game where, like I said, I've said this three days in a row now, he's not flashy, he doesn't have super quick speed, he's not dunking on people, he doesn't have extreme power, he's just Mr. Fundamentals. He's kind of like Tim Duncan was. Tim Duncan was the best player in the NBA, best power forward, arguably, in the history of the NBA, but there was nothing flashy about him. He didn't give good interviews. He wasn't interesting on the mic, pregame, you know, postgame show, stuff like that. He wasn't a guy that you were going to build the league around, even though he won, what, three, four titles? That's just, that's the cost of not being very, I don't know, camera friendly. Jokic is a great player. I read you all the statistics. First guy ever to lead the postseason in points, rebounds, and assists. First guy ever to put up a 30-20-10 in an NBA Finals game. He's had three 30-20-10 postseason games, and there's only been five in postseason history. But there's nothing flashy about him, and he's a boring interview. And he talks about wanting to go home because he's, he's huge into horse racing. And when you give a statement like, look, basketball is not my whole life. It's just something I'm good at. He just, the game comes easier to him, and he's a great player, but he's never going to be someone that this league can get behind and build their league around and be like, hey, everyone, Nikola Jokic playing Saturday night on ABC. When ABC starts their Saturday night game schedule, yeah, Denver, because they're defending champions, We'll have one or two next year, but I guarantee when LeBron's playing Steph or KD's playing Steph or KD's playing LeBron, those are the games that are going to draw more people. I don't know if it sucks or what the deal is, but it's a fact. He can be great, and he is great, and he's won two MVPs. He won the Western Conference Final MVP this year. He won the East. He won the NBA Final MVP this year, and still, outside of Denver, Nobody really cares. And nobody's really going to give him the respect that he deserves because there's nothing flashy about his game or his personality. And that's just the way it is. That's that's the unfortunate thing. So this isn't to discredit Jokic at all. I'm just laying it out there as it is and just knowing that Denver's got a young core. He's 28, and he's the oldest of their four of Jokic, Murray, MPJ, and Aaron Gordon. He's the oldest at 28. He's about to hit his prime. And I just don't see the Denver Nuggets all of a sudden becoming media darlings and taking over the world and fans becoming like, remember when Golden State has started their run? It was all because of Steph Curry and this kid who looked like a guy you see walking down the street shooting 35-footers and draining them and his pregame routine. People can rally around that. Nobody's going to rally around Jokic, who has a funky shot, who sets picks, who does dribble handoffs all game long that are basically unstoppable. It's just, it's unfortunate, but it's fact. Did you see this story in the NHL hockey finals where there was a TV reporter who was covering for the Florida Panthers. She works for CBS Miami. Her name is Samantha Rivera. 
And in game two of the NHL finals in Vegas, she was doing a live shot. And some fan tried to get in the live shot, and she literally stiff-armed him out of the shot. And, you know, she was getting praised all around the media and online because the, the, the video went viral. You know, being a prof- you know, being a professional, she didn't hurt the guy. She didn't punch him. She was able to continue her live broadcast while also pushing a drunk and seemingly drunk fan out of the view of the camera. Then what happened? Well, what do you expect? She said the other day, I've been getting an influx of hate messages, comments these past couple days. And to those people, I'd like to ask if maybe now is a good time for you to move out of your mom's basement. Stay blessed. Basically been getting death threats, which are basic, you know, they're criminal. And I'm just, again, we talk about fans and fans is short for fanatics. And we all know this thing, but I don't even know where it would come from with this particular video. She didn't hurt anybody. She was doing her job, and an idiot fan tried to jump in the shot, and she pushed him away while still continuing to talk and not getting sidetracked. And now she's getting death threats? For what? What did she do? Just like I say, one of the biggest pet peeves of mine is when a team wins a championship and the people in the city go outside and light the city on fire and turn over cop cars and shit like that. Obviously, one of my other biggest pet peeves is trolls on the Internet. Just not that they do it because I'm we're well into it to where I know it's happening. No matter how many times I say it, no matter how many times I tell people just leave shit alone. You don't have to give people your opinion on their Instagram stories or their Instagram captions. You don't have to tell them how much you don't like them. They'll live. Trust me. Nobody cares what you think. I could say that's all blue in the face. It's still going to happen. My issue is that there's no repercussions for it. I don't know how we develop some sort of repercussions for it, but there needs to be. You know, maybe maybe this woman, maybe Samantha Rivera is going to do a deep dive or hire a private investigator and find out who these people are that are sending her death threats, and then she can go to their job, just like we have seen in recent times, some people outing people, outing the trolls on Internet, whether putting their real name and job out there or saying this is who they are or contacting their workplace and saying, hey, by the way, just to let you know, one of your workers sent me this. I know I'm doing it. I don't get it as much as somebody like that because I'm not that big of a public figure. In the Bachelor world, yes, I'm a, you know, I'm, people know the name Reality Steve and I'm a, I'm a public figure within that niche audience. But I've ne- it's never gotten to the point outside of one time last year, and I you know I got mad at it, I, but I kind of let it go. But if it happens again, I, I know going forward because just talking about it and getting mad and not doing anything about it seems to accomplish nothing. So anybody wants to try me with any sort of threat or death threats or whatever, they're going to be exposed, and I have no problem exposing people. But for this to happen to this reporter who literally did nothing wrong, it's just once again, social media can be a great thing, but it's stories like this that make me just shake my head. All right, you know I'm a huge college football fan. The SEC announced today their conference schedule for 2024. Right now, it's an eight-game conference schedule. They are still determining if 
going forward after 2024. They're going to go to a nine-game conference schedule or not. But right now, conference schedule is at eight games for 2024 because Oklahoma and Texas are coming to the SEC, as we know, next year. This does not pertain to this year, but 2024, and holy crap, the two big dogs in the SEC right out of the gate, I think you could say have the number one and number two toughest conference schedules starting in 2024. Let's start with Alabama. Their home games, Alabama, they've got Auburn and Georgia. Road games, LSU, Oklahoma, and Tennessee. And by the way, they also play Wisconsin on the road in non-conference in 24. So your, your toughest road games in 2024, Alabama's at Wisconsin, at Auburn, at Georgia. I'm sorry, those are the, uh, sorry, the away games. Sorry, I'm reading this wrong. The away games at Wisconsin, at LSU, at Oklahoma, at Tennessee. Your conference home games that are the tough ones, Alabama plays Auburn and Georgia. I believe this is the first time Auburn and Georgia have played in the regular season since it's either 2012 or 2014 because they had that weird rotating schedule. Then you've got Georgia sitting there with um, – look at Georgia's road games in 2024 in conference. At Alabama, at Ole Miss, at Texas. Home games for Georgia in conference in 2024. Florida, well, that game's in Jacksonville, as we know. Auburn and Tennessee. Like, it's stacked – and I absolutely love it. It makes more sense for Oklahoma and Texas to go to the SEC than it does for USC and UCLA to go to the Big Ten. Now, I don't know what Texas thinks they're accomplishing by going to the SEC because they've been an average Big 12 team for God knows how many years now. I mean, they're they're a 9-3 and three team every year. Outside of that one year where Sam Ellinger said, we're, you know, they won the Sugar Bowl and he got up there and said, we're back. They've basically been a 500 team ever since. And yes, now they have Arch Manning, and maybe Arch Manning will be ready to go in two years when they move to the SEC. But do I think Texas is going 12 and 0 in the SEC? Not a fucking chance. Just like when AM went to the SEC and finally got away out of Texas's shadow. What has AM done since they've gone to the SEC? Outside of the one Manzel year, what have they done? And it's not like they won the national championship either. Still lost two games that year. So I I think Texas and Oklahoma have a rude awakening coming for them when they go to the SEC. Yeah, maybe Oklahoma will squeeze in an 11-1 season in one year. Maybe Texas can go 10-2. But if Texas can't even go 11-1 or 12-0 in the Big 12, which they haven't done since, I think, the Vince Young year, which was, what, oh, five, oh, four, oh, three? Can't remember. Texas hasn't dominated the Big 12. And if they can't go 11-1 and or 12-0 and in the Big 12, they're certainly not coming close to that in the SEC. When in their first year in conference, look at these conference games that Texas has in their first year. Home against Mississippi State, Florida, Georgia, and Kentucky. On the road against Oklahoma, which is uh, the Red River rivalry in Dallas, they've got A&M and then Arkansas and Vanderbilt. So 
That's Texas's first year. Look at Oklahoma's first year in SEC football. Texas, home game, or the Dallas, the Red River rivalry. Then they've got Alabama and Tennessee at home. They've got LSU, Auburn, and Ole Miss on the road. Like these, This is screaming 8-4, and 9-3 and three every year for Texas and Oklahoma, especially if Oklahoma doesn't improve their defense. They've been obviously better than Texas over the years. They made, with Lincoln Riley at least, they made the – college football playoff three times four times you know at least they were getting there putting themselves in position they just never had the defense to stop anybody come playoff time and now they're going to the sec i know they have a defensive coach and brent venables but their defense stunk last year so we'll see i'm excited not saying i'm not looking forward to 2023 season because i'm starting my college football uh studying probably this weekend and start reading up on uh, some teams and some games. But boy, when 2024 rolls around and you've got Texas and Oklahoma in the SEC and you got UCLA and USC in the Big Ten and you've got the 12-team playoff starting in 2024, man, I cannot wait for that to happen. One other thing to talk about is Netflix announced yesterday that on July 12th they're coming out with a new show called quarterback and this is unprecedented because it's never happened before last year during the nfl season patrick mahomes kirk cousins and marcus mariota were mic'd up for every single game that they quarterbacked last year and we get them off the field at home practices all this stuff i cannot wait this is the stuff that i love and you know, when you when I grew up watching sports in the 80s and 90s, you didn't get any of this. There was no social media back then. You never had access to players like you do now. This is going to be so cool. I mean, it's just Netflix does a lot of great documentaries like this, like Full Swing for the PGA Tour, getting to see these guys, you know, what they say to each other on the course, their life off the course. I know all of a lot of you are big F1 fans and what is it, the Drive to Survive? And that's a great show. Apparently, I have still haven't watched it, but because I'm just I'm not a racing fan. But yes, I'm aware you don't have to be a racing fan to like Drive to Survive. But Netflix, July 12th, quarterback, uh, and it follows all of last season. Three quarterbacks in the NFL: Patrick Mahomes, who won the Super Bowl. So I, I gotta believe there's gonna be some great, great footage of him there. Uh, Kirk Cousins and Marcus Mariota. And you may be like, great. Well, why do I care about Marcus Mariota? It's not that. You just see it. It's like Hard Knocks. When you watch it every season, Hard Knocks before the season covers one team in training camp. Last year going into it is like, great, we're going to watch the Detroit Lions? Who cares? And then you watch it and you start developing. You start learning about these players you knew nothing about. You start rooting for them. And then you see why, after watching Hard Knocks, they were America's darling. And, you know, I ended up betting they're over in wins. And they ended up getting to nine wins last year. And they're the you know they're the darling team again this year because everyone thinks they're going to make the playoffs now after last year's 9 and 8 season and the way they finished the season after they started 1 and 6 so yeah i mean it's just it doesn't matter that Marcus Mariota is not one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL i think just the access to seeing how a quarterback handles himself in the huddles on the field on the sidelines at practice how they are off the field all very interesting stuff. I can't wait for this to start. Netflix comes out. Uh, quarterback comes out on Netflix on July 12th. And finally, the Oakland A's one step closer now to moving to 
Las Vegas. Yesterday, the um, the Nevada State Assembly approved the final version of the bill uh, that has $380 million in taxpayer money to help finance a stadium on the Strip. They voted 25 to 15, so the only thing is left is the Republican governor, Joe Lombardo, has to sign off on it, and Major League Baseball has to sign off on it, and those apparently are the two easiest yeses they're going to get. It had to get through the state assembly. That was the thing that was holding him back, but everyone expects the governor to sign off on it and Major League Baseball to sign off on it. So it certainly looks like the A's are coming to Vegas. Now, when it starts, where they're going to play in the meantime, that's all going to be worked out because they haven't even obviously started building a, a stadium yet. It's 2023. My guess is they start building at the end of this year or beginning of 2024. It's going to take two or three years to build the stadium. They're probably not going to play their first game in Las Vegas as the Vegas A's in that new stadium until probably 2027. Maybe 2026? That seems a little early, but maybe at the latest, I would think 2027. So what do you do in the meantime? Are they the Vegas A's and they play in the minor league stadium out there? Probably it's where it's going to happen, but I don't even know how they do that because that stadium is not covered. It is not an indoor stadium. You're not going to play summer games in 105-degree heat in Las Vegas. It's not happening. So I don't know what they're going to do. They have to go somewhere. If they're playing in Vegas for the three years or two years before that stadium is built, they have to play somewhere that's got an indoor stadium or a roof because nobody's going to go want to sit and watch a baseball game, even if it is Major League Baseball in Las Vegas for the first time. Nobody's going to want to watch the games once about June hits. June to September in Las Vegas? Are you kidding me? Nobody's going to want to watch that outside. So, I, I yeah, I don't I don't know what they're doing, but it certainly looks like it's uh, we are one step closer to the Oakland A's leaving Oakland and becoming uh, the Las Vegas A's. That's it. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. Please rate, subscribe, and review an Apple podcast, including subscribing is probably the best way you could help this podcast. Uh, that's the easiest. Trust me. Pass it along to your friends. Tell everyone else about it. That'll help the podcast as well. Rate and review. That helps tremendously. So I really appreciate you all listening. Thank you all for listening. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television.